Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Hello and welcome to Network Automation Nerds Podcast. This is a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and a whole lot of technical topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today, we're doing something very, very special. Today, I'm joined by my friend, John, John Capobianco and Danny Wei. Do you guys want to say hi a little bit? Hey, everybody. John Capobianco. I'm a senior IT planner and integrator with the Canadian House of Commons. Uh, you probably know me more from my work in Merlin in the open source world. And uh, I'm a big, big fan of LiveShare. And Danny and I have actually been collaborating, um, streaming together and writing code together on this platform. So I'm very excited to be here today. And uh, Danny, it's nice to see you too. Yeah. Hey, John. Uh, yeah, my name is Danny Wade. Uh, you may know me online as DevNetDan. Uh, as John mentioned, you know, I, I do uh, weekly streams and John's been co-streaming with me. Um, and yeah, I, I work as a network automation engineer at a small uh, consulting company in Maryland. Yeah, so as they mentioned, today we're just so excited to be talking about uh, live share feature in VS Code. Um, so we're uh, we're happy to invite John Carter from Microsoft about Visual Studio Code Live. Um, we're, we're we're just very excited about it because it it seems to me it's one of the killer features that people talk about along with remote development via SSH, especially for network engineers who needs to collaborate on a constant basis, who needs to uh, kind of lift each other up uh, because we're on different levels of development path. So, you know, I'm very excited about this. So we decided to get Carter. Um, you know, I'm sure that was the first time you heard of that joke. <laughs> but anyways, hello, John uh, or JC. Welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, that actually was the first time I've heard that joke. So that was <laughs> that was that was pretty good. I get a lot of the John Carter from Mars reference all yeah. the time, but but yeah. not get Carter. Um, well, I guess yeah, I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> well, I, I'm familiar with the movie. So, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. no, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, have become a big fan of, of John's work um, through Twitter and, you know, love the excitement and energy he's bringing to the community. Um, yeah, I, I'm a PM at Microsoft, been, been at Microsoft for 14 years now, worked in developer tools and and platforms the entire time and and yeah uh, among other things right now my team works on this product called live share which i'm excited to to talk more about today awesome yeah so john you talked a little bit about um before we you know talk a little bit about your background you've been at microsoft for the last 14 years um, can you just tell us a little bit about how you got started in technology and how you end up working for you know microsoft which is one of the big software companies in the world yeah. Um, you know, it was actually my uncle when I was younger. He was the clerk of the county court for the little town I grew up in in Florida, um, which is called Bradenton. It's not as little of a town now, but it, it felt like it at the time. And he was he was very into like modernizing government and, you know, like he didn't think of it as like open source or like you know, but he wanted to make more records expo or um, available to, you know, the community. And, and so he started building up a technology team for the the court to, to be able to make these, you know, records available. Uh, and I thought it was kind of neat. And so I, I kind of started asking him questions. And, and as part of that, I ended up 
being able to do a little bit of shadowing with some of the developers that he you know got as part of this new team he built. And then from there, I just got really into, you know, the web and, and being able to use it to share ideas with my friends, right. Uh, from home, uh, and, and the kind of the rest was history. So I, I kind of became self-taught like throughout high school, I, I was doing kind of dual enrollment classes at a local community college. But by the time I graduated high school, I was already working part-time professionally because I just became obsessed with, with software. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of the the story. Um, and uh, so I've pretty much been doing some form of web development or web technology based, like I've had a focus on web tech for most of my career. Um, but kind of all across the board, whether it was cold fusion, PHP, Java, um, yeah. The cold fusion one, I, I always, you know, that's that always makes for a great conversation if people got to to program in that professionally too. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of owe it all to my my tech forward uncle, um, and then you know it just kind of felt right once I started tinkering with it as as kind of a teenager. Right. So you were yeah. you were doing coach live share the old fashioned way, which with your sneakers and shadowing people like by physically standing right next to them. Right. Um, so, Sneaker net. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like fast forward, you know, I, I don't know how many years, and then now you're doing it digitally. You enable people to do it digitally, so that's awesome. Yeah. Well, in some ways, yeah. Like the story, as cool as it is, it is kind of like well isn't it just, I was a privileged kid who happened to have like an uncle that ran the government agency that spun up a software team. Um, and so like, yeah, how do we make it such that people around the world are able to get that level of mentoring or, uh, assistance or guidance if they're interested in learning software? Um, and so, so yeah, collaboration tools are, are important to kind of enabling that kind of equity, I think for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to talk about the extension for Visual Studio Code, but um, maybe people, some people are not as familiar with like IDE in general or Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, you know, the kind of differences and what does it do. So can you also give us a little bit of background of what Visual Studio Code is and what the purpose of it to enable developer to do? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Visual Studio Code is a text editor, right? That's cross-platform and meant to be very lightweight, but introduce enough really rich features that it makes you feel hyper-productive. Um, and in particular, kind of the key things that VS Code introduced to the text editor space was integrated language services, Right. So traditionally, when people thought of um, auto completion, like as you're typing and getting suggestions for what symbols you should insert or go to definition or rich code navigation, they associated that with IDEs or integrated developer environments, which were much bigger, traditionally, maybe more expensive um, right. battery batteries included tools. Um, but Visual Studio Code kind of introduced a concept of bringing all of that level of, of authoring richness into a lightweight text editor. Um, it also introduced integrated debugging, which which also had been traditionally 
associated with being a capability of, of IDEs. Um, and so, so, so what VS Code then represents is kind of this balance between, you know, productivity and, and lightweight flexibility for a developer that then works across all operating systems, whether it's Mac, Windows, or, or Linux. Um, and it's highly extensible. And, and, and one of its real key strengths is the ecosystem of developers that build extensions, which allows it to be lightweight. And so not opinionated, like when you download VS Code, you're not getting a hundred tool windows and status bar buttons all over the place that you don't know what they do. You're getting just the minimum amount of things to get you started quickly. And then you can then choose to install the set of extensions to make your own productive environment from there. Um, and so. Yeah, so I think there's a few good points to unpack there. So first of all is Visual Studio Code is lightweight. Uh, so compared to something like a PyCharm, which is something, the IDE that I'm more familiar with, um, it's super lightweight. So for example, if I fire up two instances of PyCharm, it's like my memory is gone by then, right? Like my my my, my laptop will start, like, you know, sounds like about to take off. But um, but for Visual Studio Code, it's actually lightweight and I could spawn up multiple instances of it and, you know, the memory uh, overhead is certainly not as big. And the second is cross-platform. So there was a time when Visual Studio is actually runs only on uh, Windows. And but Visual Studio Code is cross-platform, which means, you know, whatever platform you're using, including Linux, that you could use Visual Studio Code. And then the third point was that it's extensible, right? So it's the the reason why it's so lightweight is because it offloads the features to uh, in a way to extensions. So you only install the necessary extension you need versus you know the kind of front loads it altogether whether you use it or not. Um, so so that is why I think there's a lot of buzz about Visual Studio Code in the network engineering community. It's uh, combining all three above that you know it's kind of it's kind of the editor of choice that I see people picking on momentum with. So that's really cool. If I, if I can also just add that in typically in the networking space, like when I came up, I would say I would suggest up until the DevNet content, which is like March of, right? It's not that long ago that that was no. released as a new track, right? right? Prior to that, all a network engineer really was introduced to it to was maybe Notepad++ or TextPad++ <laughs> or Notepad itself. Like my transition, honestly, was from writing YAML Ansible playbooks in Notepad, and that was as painful as it sounds, right? And and then someone said, you just have to try VS Code. It was actually through the Azure, it was called TFS at the time, Team Foundation Server. But yep. when, they, when developers started to help me in my organization with version control, there was this little button in TFS that said, install VS Code. That was my portal into the editor. And I, I've, I've, I haven't turned back at all. So if you're still working with, and I mean, even like ARP tables or BGP neighbor, that stuff you work with in TextPad or Notepad++, try to bring it into VS Code. It, it really is going to make a lot of difference in, in, honestly, right to the enjoyment of the experience in developing solutions, right? Yeah, Danny, you want to say something? Yeah, yeah. Um, and to uh, kind of combining both points, you know, that kind of slow migration to using, you know, a different text editor. So, um, 
John Carter, he he mentioned about extensions and the just the variety and vast ecosystem of the extensions. There's actually an extension called Cisco iOS that will actually mark up and do syntax highlighting on your configuration files. Um, so, you know, you could switch, even if you're not into automation today, you could easily switch from Notepad++ and just to do the basic syntax highlighting for your traditional um, Cisco iOS configuration. Yeah, I agree. So after you do, you know, show IP interface brief for like the thousandth time, you don't need the header, right? You're more concerned about the first row, what interfaces, the status on the third row. So, um, but I would imagine that's not something that the uh, the rest of the developer community would necessarily care. Um, so instead of front loading that, you know, when you auto start, you just kind of leave that to the you know, person using it to enable it, to install it. And for the three of us, it's it's great tool, but for John uh, Carter, might not be. So um, so that's what we meant by being lightweight and uh, extension and so on. Yeah. 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 So, so John, you know, let's get into the star of the show today, which is uh, VS Code LiveShare. So we're going to refer to LiveShare from now on. Can you tell us a little bit of, of the history? You you know, before the recording, you mentioned this is your baby. So um, I believe right now is in preview. So maybe you could also explain a little bit about the different stages of a feature from, you know, beta, preview to release and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the history is that a few years ago, um, my team, as I mentioned, you know, I, I work on the team at Microsoft that is focused on trying to identify ways to kind of up-level productivity, right? Like right. the the definition of, of productivity. In some ways, I kind of hate that term because it's too generic. But like the meaning of it and at any given time, how to improve it, we have to keep finding new ways to, to innovate. And so uh, a few years ago when we were you know, doing some research and kind of trying to learn from from different teams what was representing bottlenecks for their holistic velocity, so to speak. So not like, oh, how do you make, you know, merging pull requests quicker? Or how do you crank out code faster? But like, how do you right. feel like the team as a whole could grow better together? And what we were finding is just that there were teams that weren't satisfied with the the options they had for collaboration and mm-hmm. that maybe they were trying to encourage a culture of, of pair programming or code reviews or peer mentoring. And it wasn't quite going as well as they wanted it to be. And when we double or that they wanted it to be. And when we drilled into that a little bit, what we were finding is that, you know, no surprise, everyone was using screen sharing to do kind of these collaborative use cases and screen right. sharing is amazing, but it it had some fundamental limitations that made it not as enjoyable or or maybe awesome for for doing continuous or repetitive collaborative development. Um, and so we 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 thought to ourselves, how could we kind of take the pros of screen sharing, but then address the cons and provide something that developers really love um and so live share came out of that that goal and so really live share what it what it is is it's you know integrated collaboration in the dev tools but it's about sharing context not screen so to speak right um right. and the reason and the reason is because you know as we know um 
developers and 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 maybe network engineers, you know, and and lots of different roles of people highly customize and personalize their their tools and their environment, <laughs> their operating system. And so the idea of you and I collaborating, let's say every day or every week, and one of us having to sacrifice the way we view our environment or the key bindings that we're using or shortcut keys or all of the myriad of things that make up our definition of productivity. Um, that just seems a little bit silly. Whereas with live share, you know, two or more developers or, 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 you know, two or more people in general can collaborate on a code base or files um, with a shared runtime environment, but utilizing their existing editor setup and their existing operating system. They can be on entirely different ones. Um, and what we found is that that alone was a very powerful paradigm switch for people to, to feel at home and, and comfortable with collaboration um, versus in some ways kind of being a passive observer of somebody else's environment. Um, the second, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, so maybe we could just like briefly go over some of the shortcomings of screen share, right? Like you said, like most of us, when we went to virtual for the last two years, you know, we've become very familiar with screen share and kind of collaborative that way. But the first thing that we don't like about screen share, as amazing as it is, is you actually have to launch a separate tool outside of, you know, your coding environment. Uh, like whether that's Zoom or whether that's, uh, you know, WebEx, you actually have to launch something else and then you need to share your screen. And then, as you mentioned, John, you know, uh, when you have multiple people who need to see the same screen and who needs to drive, you actually have to pass the baton, right? You be the leader. No, you be the leader now. Now I'm going to, you know, give you give you the uh, the ability to share. And the third thing is you actually have to, give up the environment that you're familiar with. Um, like for me, I have, I memorized or just become familiar with a bunch of shortcuts for saving, for, you know, searching through uh, some of the extensions or, you know, even, you know, sometimes I would customize my Vim environment or whatnot. And that becomes something I am attached to. And if I'm using something on, you know, John Capo's screen, he certainly doesn't have that. And it just kind of slows the whole process down. So I think those were kind of the objective that you set out originally to overcome. And that ties back into what you were talking about. Uh, pro you know, I know you don't like that word, but we're going to use productivity and, <laughs> and for lack of better terms and uh, just more seamless integration into kind of your daily, uh, you know, daily flow of co-editing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the point you just made is is really great in that in addition to live share enabling everyone to take advantage of their own editor or OS setup, in many ways, the key capability that it enables that we found people really took to is the concept of like independent cursors. Um, yep. and I and I say independent in that like with screen sharing, there's been lots of great screen sharing tech that allowed multiple cursors to provide some level of autonomy to the participants in the session, but it still required everybody work on the same physical screen. Um, yeah. Whereas with live share, right, you and I could be looking at a code base 
looking at the same file, but maybe I have an idea that I want to quickly explore and I can jump off to another file without disrupting you at all. Um, and at first, sometimes people find like that a little strange, like, oh, well, isn't collaboration meant to be working on the same thing together? And that's true, but but it's just, it's unnatural, I think, for a lot of people to be literally forced into the same train of thought all the time versus having a fleeting question or wanting to an expo explore something independently and then come back and, and kind of reorient together. And so with LiveShare, you can kind of have this multimodal experience where you and I can be fully focused on the same task. We can go subdivide a task and then come back together. Or we can just simply, you know, um, you know, do what we, we might call like I'm passively observing you kind of in one text editor to the side while, while exploring an idea. Um, and, and so it kind of feels like for many people, a more natural form of collaboration, um, where you have, everyone has the autonomy to contribute in the way that they want to, or feel comfortable doing. Um, yeah. So if I could just maybe pick up on this point, um, I think it's an important point. What, one of the neat things that Danny and I reflected on that was really neat was that mid thought, I, I recognized we're going to need a for loop here. But Danny was finishing the Python that we were writing, mapping out fields or something. So we just broke off. I said, okay, I'll move up two lines and I'll indent and write the for loop we need. You just keep mapping the Python that we've started. I didn't need to stop and explain my idea or, okay, stop this. We have to do the for loop and then come back to this. We just forked our activity and then met back up on the other side with a working for loop and he mapped the or like, I think in terms of like, I don't know, I'm, I'm on a Django project. It happens to be what I'm working on right now. It sort of clicked to me that I could bring in three front end developers that are focusing on the views and the HTML and the JavaScript and CSS while my <laughs> SQL Postgres or database admins are writing the models and the mapping of the models while my Python two or three developers are writing the Python control plane simultaneously with a chat to explain ideas. Everyone has their own color coding. Everyone's work is tagged through the Git repository. Um, Danny, that, that really stood out to us, right? That we were both actually contributing together. Yeah. And just to add to John's point, um, you know, going off the not everyone's, it's just unnatural to be in the same train of thought. Uh, personally, I've been more experience with Flask and Fast API, which is very different from Django. And uh, so I like as John was explaining things and as everyone knows, like when you when you get into a zone, you're in the zone. And uh, so he was explaining something that just rattled off some Django, you know, URLs, views. I was going through those files and like, okay, well, how does this map to something that I know, like Flask or Fast API? So it kind of had, it was nice to be able to jump to different files as he was still coding and kind of rambling on about, about Django. So um, I, I thought it was very, it, it was, it was cool. And, and you're totally right, um, JC, as far as, you know, not, you're not always in the same track mind and, some people, you know, when I had to ask questions about Django, I could open up those files without interrupt, interrupting John. So very, very cool stuff. Yeah. So, 
So John's John Capo is very passionate about Django, and when he gets on something, it's like, <laughs> oh my god! It's like you need to kind of step away a little just to just to focus on a little bit. So um, Roger that. But um, you know, joking aside, it's it's really much more closer to a real world collaboration, like a sprint or a hackathon, right? You actually have a team. Like if you've ever been to, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, Python Software Foundations uh, Sprint or maybe uh, PyCon or whatnot, you know, at the end of the conference, there's usually like one or two days of Sprint. And that's where the, f- you know, four to five people would sit in the table and they would start collaborating. So they would still have a central objective and project to work on. However, everybody is handling a bit of a, a, a piece, bits and pieces. And that's much uh, and then they will come together, you know, whenever say, hey, you know, John, what are you, uh, Jason, uh, John Capo, what are you working on? Let's compare notes and let's make sure that like, this part works before we move on. Um, so that is super valuable and um, something that I think you wouldn't think about unless you care about the holistic view of a team collaboration like uh, JC's team does. Yeah, when we when we first built LiveShare, there were people on the team that didn't think it would ever work. Um, I recall one person saying that it was a bit of a science experiment. Um, Mm. And also, you know, when we first built it, there were lots of questions of, Oh, do you need to have restrictions in place so that only the host can do certain things and they have to give control to participants. Um, And we kind of just said, what if we didn't do any of that? And we let people be people. Um, And, (laughs) Uh, and it actually that that bet paid off. And I'll give you an example. If if I live share with you and I spin up the debugger, you can click the the step button to progress, you know, the application forward without me giving you permission to do that. Um, and that seemed really kind of odd at the time to a lot of folks that seemed like, oh, you know, my debugger status is sacred. Um, but what we found is just, yeah, if people are collaborating and they have a shared objective they're trying to get to and they respect each other, then they're, they're going to do the right thing and they're going to behave in a way that's the most natural for them. And so not having the notion of control coordination um, helped make it feel more organic. Um, So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty cool project to see it used over the years and, and uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so if, if Danny inserts like ten thousand breakpoints in my debugger, then he's like banned from my uh, from my live share session until he starts yeah. to behave. <laughs> so so we did, yeah, you know. So the the inverse of what I just said is we did have to add you know block support because yeah, right. if, if somebody joins and is just like not helping, then you might need to boot them. <laughs> um, so yeah, right. Danny would never do that. I'm I'm you know saying it for a friend, of course. right yeah a theoretical situation exactly exactly nobody in my team i love my team so um so i mean we talked about the benefits we talked about you know why uh why life share is needed the origin story and you know john's uh team have developing it so let's go into some of the kind of where where rubber meets the road like how do you actually uh, enable life share how do you 
um, you know, just get it to work, right? From downloading extension pack and so on. So how about this, uh, John Capo? I'll let you, because you and Danny were streaming it. So you guys had very fresh experience on that. And you guys could go over some of the steps that you took as, as best as you recall. And then uh, John Carter could tell us what we did wrong. <laughs> well, I'm happy to talk about it. I've, I've actually been using it in my um, Clark Kent role in my day job. And it's it's transformed big significant operational mechanisms, let's say, and it's the perfect. Okay, so here's where I start to really rant about live share. If you're going to let me, if let me off my leash here, um, I think it's the perfect post COVID tool. It, it's it's transformative. It transcends verticals and horizontals. Um, I can be working happily and just be dragged into one of my. I'm not going to call them juniors. One of my colleagues, senior or junior, I need you to look at some code. Why is this for loop not working? Whatever they're working on, they just bring me in in real time. Uh, I'm able to comment or code it or fix it together and then move on to what I was doing before. If we need to bring in other people, it's just a matter of bringing them in. Now, in on the enterprise, we tied it into our Azure, our AD credentials, it's all authenticated, it's very secure, it's a perfect, perfect corporate tool. Like it really is, it's it's like Excel, it's like Microsoft is Spielberg or Disney, they don't miss with this stuff, it's ready to go. So then in, in the public, I, Danny and I were doing some work and I thought, how to the point of the screen sharing that Jonathan brought up, am I gonna like, no, you're on the wrong line, no, no, move up two lines, I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to do that live with him on a stream. Right. So I thought, let's just try it. And we did a pre, so we were prepared. We prepared for our stream. And in yeah. that preparation, um, I installed the extension pack. I let him know what extension pack to install. I started a stream and then I sent him a link and he was in my VS code. And sort of the rest we pieced together that, Hey, it says shared servers here. Can I actually share my Docker container? And then that worked. And and I'll let Danny talk about from his experience. But in terms of a live share, I started to call it 4D streaming, where um, you know people there's big money in people watching people play video games, <laughs> right? Well, now people can not just watch and chat with us as we they can join the code session and participate breaking this fourth wall and how do we get people's attention? And it's really exciting to me. So um, that that's sort of where I'm at with the tool. And I'd love to hear, you know, Danny, what, what you thought, was it easy to, to get going and stuff? Yeah. As John mentioned, you know, he's the one that kind of had the idea of, to do the live share. Cause originally we were going to do the old, I'm going to screen share with you through some sort of uh, collaboration tool. And, um, so we we download LiveShare. We got it uh, up and working actually very quickly. Um, you can link it to John mentioned uh, Microsoft account, you know, or AD account. Um, I, I don't use it kind of in the corporate environment yet, so I just linked it to my GitHub. Which, if you're coding, uh, pretty much most people have GitHub accounts, so it, it all works anyways. Since GitHub, Microsoft, um, but anyways, you know, we had. I, I felt like it was a very seamless experience, right? Like. A lot of times, even just downloading a, a new piece of software to use it, it could be the simplest piece of software, but like the setup steps, 
signing up for an account and all that. This was, you download the, you install the extension, you might have to reload VS code. It comes up, it prompts you for your credentials and it signed me right in. Uh, John shared a link and I was, I was in the session. So uh, super easy to set up that that's, that was a, a kind of a, a key point that I wanted to bring up is just, it's just, it's easy. The, the barrier to entry, it's, it's very low and you can dive right in. Um, uh, just one other comment to, uh, about actual, like, like John mentioned, I think he's kind of opened up a live share hotel the past couple of days of people joining his <laughs> live share and signing into a, to his, his book. Um, right. And so I, I thought it was very, it's very neat that someone could get in even with read only access and just look through different files that maybe John, you know, he talked about and maybe he's coding on something else. Um, but just to explore the repository with kind of an author narrative, because uh, that's that's huge. I mean, I, I think we all agree, like having the developer or just someone that understands code explain code versus trying to read or read comments or, or map different functions and how they work together. So I think that is a like John mentioned, he calls it the 4D coding. I, I think that really is is you know breaking down walls and and really helping us, especially in this post-COVID world where we may not even be in an office to look over uh, each other's shoulders. So, yeah. So at least at least John Capo is not in California, right? So you know, but still be careful. You might you might be able to get there. You just won't be able to leave. Um, but um, anyhow, so I think if I could channel my, you know. Ira Glass uh, energy here. So essentially, you know, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes about how to get started with LiveShare, this article. But basically, there's four steps. One is, as Danny and John Kappel mentioned, it's you, you, you need to download the uh, extension pack. And um, once you download the extension pack, you the first time you, you have a little button on the side sidebar where you could say, share my code. And the first time that you you know, enable that, it will ask you to log in to either a Microsoft account or a GitHub account. Um, if you tie in your authentication with uh, Active Directory, like John Capo has in the corporate environment, then you could restrict access for signing to that as well. And then uh, once you have that, and both parties need to have it, the, I guess, the sharer versus the sharee, they need, both need to have that. And then the sharer will start the uh, live share and then it would prompt you for a link where that you could pass that link to your colleague and the colleague could actually uh, join that session. You click on join and the join that session, pasting that link, and then you automatically connect to it. So there's four step process. Um, it sounds more, it sounded more complicated than it really is, but, uh, but those are kind of the overview of it. Um, did I miss anything? Uh, uh, JC, John Carter? No, you, you got it. You did, you explained that beautifully there. I mean, the one nuance is it is if as the guest, so the, the terms we use, uh, whether they're good or not is the host versus the guest, almost like you're, you're joining a party, right? Like the John, the John Capo, uh, you know, Python Django party. Um, and I'm a guest at that. Maybe I want to leave that party at some point, but I'm at least there. Um, but but the guests can actually join anonymously if they want, and so the in terms of the steps, um, you know, the, the hosting person can specify they don't allow anonymous. So like the reason that we ask for sign in is is because in collaboration tools, 
it's often helpful to know that you're working with with who you think you are. Um, right. And so with LiveShare, I you can choose to say, let me just give you a display name and I don't want to bother authenticating with GitHub or Microsoft and, and then you can get in. Um, and then the other, the other quick thing I wanted to mention is we recently released a web client for LiveShare, which for the guests joining the session, they also wouldn't have to even install any tools in order to join the session. So if John shared with me and asked me for, for some help or a review, I could literally click the link, open it in the browser, choose to sign in or not, and then be into the session without installing anything. Um, and so we're trying to, the steps you mentioned are hundred percent accurate and we're trying to streamline them a little bit further, uh, as well to help make, you know, the act of collaborating as, as simple as possible. So yeah. I opened up a tab in my smart TV and joined a session from my television just to, because <laughs> I wanted to try it. <laughs> and that worked by the way. I was like, Hey, I'm in from my TV anonymously. Is that ever <laughs> Um, um, the other thing I want to mention on collaboration, which is more serious, is that what was really cool is when we did the commit, so at the end of this wrap-up session, when Danny and I were wrapping it up, let's commit our code in, huh, co-authored by Danny Wade, right in the commit, I didn't have to do anything, so as people come and go, the Git enablement is, is just, every layer of this onion is incredible to me. Um, how much, what, what really kind of, so we're the three of us on this side are all network engineers by, you know, at our core, I suppose. How are we pulling this off without a VPN, without dynamic DNS, without a NAT? Um, it, and it seems to be real time. It's almost like a OneDrive type experience or like a SharePoint live document. If any, I'm trying to, make an analogy to something that someone out there might have already used that that doesn't really quite get that we're actually typing together and it's Git tracked and it's version controlled. And I think it's called Peacock is giving us all different colors. It's very neat, Jonathan. Yeah, we can, we can step into that a little bit. Um, when we, when we first created live share, what we were finding is Oftentimes, to collaborate on documents, people had to move those documents to the cloud first, and then it became a central place for for collaboration, which which is quite common and, and even you know familiar with you know Word documents or whatever. Whereas with a code base, it could be huge and it's multi-file, and so in order for me to say, "Hey, John, can I get your help on something?" I don't want to have to go upload a zip of that code somewhere. I don't want to have to copy and paste um, snippets of code. I want to just pull you in and let you get as much context as you need, nothing more, nothing less. So the way that LiveShare works is that when I'm coding and I click the share button, effectively all that's doing is, is registering the the act of me having a session with the live share service. And then when I send that link to let's say you, John, and you open that up, it's going to ask the live share service for the IP addresses of the host so that it can then attempt to connect to that person directly in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. Um, and, and assuming that they can, right, that there's not NATs or firewalls in between, 
then then live share just facilitates a, a peer-to-peer connection between the participants and the live share has a protocol that's been optimized for collaboration that allows the guest in the session to ask for only the context it needs to to perform the function that it wants and so for example when a guest joins a live share session what they're effectively asking for the host is give me the list of files at the top level of the code base so that I can render the project as if I have access to it. And if the host has a file open, give me the contents of that file along with their cursor position and any text highlights. Um, And so as you can imagine, that's a pretty lightweight optimized um, set of messages that doesn't require me to, to send much over the wire. And then from there, every gesture is simply synchronized between participants. So as somebody's moving their cursor or typing or selecting text or moving to another file, there's a message that's sent to all participants indicating only that action, um, which allows us to keep the kind of network um, utilization pretty low. Um, uh, So, you mentioned how does it work without, you know, dynamic DNS or, or VPN. So as I mentioned, if the participants are able to connect peer to peer, then we will, at which point, you know, live share is kind of out of the picture. If the participants are not able to connect directly because the network conditions don't allow it, then we also are running a cloud relay that we use to effectively synchronize messages between participants, um, which allows the collaboration to happen from anywhere. Um, that said, it's it's important I mention that regardless if we are able to use peer-to-peer or we use the relay, in all cases, the connection between participants is end-to-end encrypted, actually using SSH. Um, and none of the messages or code or anything um, that you're collaborating on in the lifetime of the session is stored on any service, is even visible to the service in the case of the relay. Um, the relay is only there to facilitate collaboration in arbitrary cases, um, which is you know the common you know uh, case with with peer-to-peer protocols typically is you have the fallback relay to ensure functionality in all possible cases. Um, and so, so that's kind yeah. of the high level of, of live share. That's, that's great that you're getting into it. Um, so those are the two things that, I mean, obviously pop into my mind when I first heard about it and saw how it worked was, first of all, what are the connectivity requirements? And second is what are the security implications of it? So um, so we'll, we'll post the two links. I mean, if you're watching it from YouTube, you'll see, you know, we actually had two pages that pull up. One is, uh, the Microsoft documentation on the connectivity requirement. I think it was port, uh, 5,990 to 5,999. If, uh, if you're, uh, if you're doing peer to peer and so on, but they will go into depth about the connectivity options. And the second link would be the security. Uh, guardrails uh, provided by LiveShare. So as uh, JC was mentioning, uh, you know, there's some built-in security features by VS Code itself. You know, you, you got to uh, trust the code base, basically, uh, to begin with. And also you have the option to tie this into 
AD, as John Capo mentioned before. Um, or you could, you know, obviously everybody have to sign in. And um, if you're using peer-to-peer or Cloud Relay, the things are encrypted. So it's using SSH by default if it's peer-to-peer and TLS if it's uh, over the Cloud Relay. Um, also, the per session, there's a key generated, so uh, public and private key generation. So per session, the, the, the key pair is generated. So it's encrypted via that way. Um, yeah, so I think that, you know I mean, you, I, I don't know if I miss anything or if there's any additional security concerns because this would be big, right? I mean, first of all, it works and we all love collaborating. But second is there's always this concern about security, collaborating with people outside of your organization and what kind of guardrail we have for security. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to to add, John Carter? Yeah, the, the list you mentioned was great. I mean, there's a few other things that we have in place for folks. Um, so when you share, you can choose to, to share in read-only mode. Um, yep. if, you know, if, if that makes sense. And if you share in read-only mode, you can dynamically give individual participants right access. And so that way you kind of have some, some flexibility. Um, we also have this, uh, config file, the it's called dot VSLS JSON, which allows you to specify files in the open code base that you don't want to share. Um, and so some projects might have secrets or, or other files that are just not appropriate. Um, and so you can effectively exclude those and guests will not be able to see them. Um, this is, this is common with like streaming where people want to allow guests to get into a session to be engaged, but they don't want them ac- getting access to like a .env file or, or, or some kind of secret. Um, the other thing is that, um, yeah, by default, we make it such that guests cannot take actions on their own that would execute code on the host machine. Um, and so for example, if a host brings up a terminal in VS Code that's automatically shared with all guests, but in a read-only fashion. If a guest tries to type in the terminal, they will not be allowed to unless the guest explicitly gives permission. Same thing with debugging. Like if John invited me into a session, I couldn't go off into another file and write code to say, give me your secrets in this file path and then hit F5 to run the code I just wrote. It, that would require John giving me permission. Um, and so we've we've tried to put the right balance of enabling flexibility with all participants while still retaining a certain level of, of, of access to the host unless they really do, unless like making sure it's explicit that they grant additional permissions to participants. Um, so that nobody is surprised or that there's, you know, inadvertent or accidental, you know, mistakes that could get made. Um, so we really want to make the product easy for folks to fall into the pit of success, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point because um, I I know, you know, uh, when somebody leaves the team, there's usually like a hand, like for me, you know, using me as an example, when uh, when your team member you know uh, leave the team, whether on go, going to another team internally or externally, there's usually a handoff and we'll record the session. And there's always this this mindfulness about not um, 
not accidentally click on that .env file or accidentally, you know, kind of expose the, the secret. Otherwise, the key needs to be rollover and all of that. So even internally, when we're doing the handoff, that is always a concern. So it's great that um, if we ha had we had this feature, we could have just exclude those files and do it once and just kind of forget about it and put additional mm -hmm. layer of security around around yourself, protect yourself from yourself, uh, from, from, you know, accidentally making stupid mistakes, I, I guess. I also liked as a, as a host that, um, at a glance, it shows me what file and even what line number all the participants are in. Now I know that's not, that's a bit of manual security, right? What are you doing in that file? You shouldn't be in there, but, it, but I like that as a host to be able to say, no, no, it's not tasks.py. You want to be in urls.py so-and-so, right? Um, at a real quick, quick glance, it shows the, the file and line number people are in. Um, Jonathan, is there, um, is there an upper limit? Like as Microsoft put some robots and some automation and filled a live share with, I don't know, a thousand, six thousand, like what, have you really stressed this? And, and how many people can you stuff into a, could we fill Wembley Stadium and have everybody join a code session or what? <laughs> <laughs> so right right now there is actually a, a set limit of 30 guests in a session um and that is based on you know the current stress testing that we've done but also like in general the use cases that we see live share shine the most for um tend to to fall underneath that limit anyway and there are always cases where you know somebody's running a a CS class of a thousand students and they'd love to use live share. And we kind of have to, to say that we don't currently support that or, or some streaming scenarios as well. Um, but yeah, so right now that is technically another potential security mechanism, which is like, if you accidentally leaked a live share URL, it isn't like all of Twitter could jump in the session and crash your machine. Um, I mean, 29 people could, but, uh, right. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, if you're watching it from YouTube and uh, you see, I have uh, shared the screen and you can see the different color. And if I hover over, so uh, this session actually is, um, is a John uh, Capo server and all three of us are actually joining in. And um, if I hover, just as a guest, if I hover over, I'll see, you know, I am, I think Dan is purple and uh, you know, like it would pop up what Dan is doing, and uh, John Carter is, I guess, uh, I don't know, T-Mobile purple. <laughs> then uh, yeah. he's, uh, you know, moving around, and the somebody John Capo is yellow. So we could all see each other what each others are doing, and this is cross file. So even if I, you know, go to another page or uh, however, then um, yeah. So th so that's that's kind of what the they were talking about versus like you could actually see as a guest or as a host you can actually see what other people are doing so you're not surprised by it but i would concur to that you know like 29 people really is in a in a sprint session you rarely see more than five or six because that's kind of your mental limit on collaboration anyways you know how many track of thoughts can you think of can you concurrently work on at a time um whereas in yeah go ahead you no know, even in in a classroom setting like when i was teaching at in college level there was never right. you know never more than 25 or 28 people in per classroom in that setting or maybe a public room setting right um 
So I, I was just curious what the what the limit was, but that's great to know. Yeah. At some point we we would be interested in expanding that. Um, but it hasn't been a priority thus far. Um, so so we, yeah, we do have we do have the hard limit to prevent the runaway scenario that you were mentioning, John. Yeah. So um let's get into I mean, this is great. So we have we know what it is, the origin story, how to enable it, and some of the uh, features, and also the security guardrails that it's put into place. So let's talk about some of the use cases for for LiveShare. So obviously, the major one that jumps out in everybody's mind, and John Kappel mentioned, is classroom settings. You know, teaching remote. So first one is collaboration, right? Like that. That's a no brainer. That is, you know, the number one use case. Um, but second one would be, you know, teaching environment where um, I don't know about you, but when I try to teach my daughter how to code, she has the attention span of like a little rabbit, right? Like, whoa, there's something shining or, you know, so in order to catch, catch her attention, I need to capitalize on that 10 second of time where when she run into trouble, I need to be able to show her something and continue that conversation as opposed to moving on. So teaching would be a major one, but I'm interested in, you know, your team, John Carter, that uh, what are what are other use cases that you guys have thought about or you came across uh, as you rolled this feature out for the general public? Yeah, when we when we first built LiveShare, the kind of two main use cases that we were initially trying to solve was what we were calling kind of quick assistance, where you're asking somebody for a quick help on something or, hey, can you, you know, answer a question? Um, and then the other was was pair programming and, and all the forms that that can take, right? Where, you know, two or more developers are working on a shared goal for some meaningful amount of time. So it isn't like a quick question. It's more like, hey, can you work on this with me for the next hour, two hours, three hours? Um, right. And, and, you know, I think as you were mentioning, like with sprints, we saw then people, yeah, doing one-on-one -on -one pairing, mob programming with five to 10 people, swarm programming, right? Which is, you know, like an ad hoc version of mob, mob programming. But then there were also kind of all these variants of kind of domain specific types of pair programming that we saw uh, LiveShare get used for quite a lot, such as coding competitions or hackathons um, or school group projects where, you know, three or, or four students are working on an assignment together and they can use LiveShare um, to facilitate that. So that's kind of the, the areas that we started, but then over mm -hmm. time, we kind of continued to, you know, engage with with developers and, and learned that it got used for quite a bit more. So you mentioned education. Um, yep. And, you know, that's become a huge use case for live share, um, whether it's kind of, you know, within a company, right? So like peer mentoring or onboarding someone new to the team using live share for that. Teams doing like lunch and learns, we see that yep. all the time, um, but also, you know, doing classroom lectures or TA support for students. Um, it's that's become one of the most common use cases for LiveShare, which I love. Right. Because I think back in the beginning of the conversation we were just having, you know, if if in some small way, right, our tools could help in, increase the the equity of of collaboration and support 
learners of all kinds, then that's pretty awesome. Um, from there, though, we also see a lot of code reviews, right? So almost yeah. like I, I sometimes refer to to live share as like a real time compliment to Git, right? Mm-hmm. Where Git is the awesome way that your team is already probably collaborating, but it's asynchronous. Um, maybe you have a pull request out and you want to go live. So you might use live share to say, Hey, John, I noticed you left like 20 comments on my PR. Just like, <laughs> can we just like address this super fast in a live share session? Um, right. But then also interviews, um, a, yes. an area that I've become very passionate about. And, you know, we talked in the earlier in the conversation, making collaboration more natural for everyone. And I think there's big opportunities for, for technical interviewing, especially in a remote setting for the interaction between the interviewer and the candidate to feel more like a collaboration discussion in real world tools, as opposed to um, a test using a whiteboard or, or kind of fizzbuzz or some kind of algorithmic environment. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, those are, those are kind of the, the main use cases that we've seen folks already using live share, but, but also being excited and, and there being some energy to start expanding their usage of live share into other ways. Yeah, definitely. That was one of the things that I noticed is that, um, coding interviews that this is really going to eat, um, somebody like CoderPad or, uh, you know, these other companies, I mean, good thing the starter, the founder cashed out because I think it's going to kind of replace that one day. Um, but also, I think if I could ask for a pony um, along the side of coding interview, because that's a live thing, right? Like that's pair programming. That's a live thing. But also if you could generate live share, but also record your steps um, in the process, let's just say I give you an hour because I know coding interviews are tend to be short and, uh, you know, it's a bigger problem. How do we judge technical capability in the industry, right? So typically they would give you like a project assignment, allow you an hour. You could do whatever you want. You could go search Google. It's an open book project, but you do have to complete it in the most efficient way that you could see, you, you could do in an hour. So, you know, you kind of record the candidates, uh, you know, steps and record kind of their, the thought process, even they could take notes. So even, even if you don't accurately solve the problem, you still get partial credit and the interviewer kind of, you know, come back engage. And so I think that goes deeper into uh, this this overall picture of not just for life sharing, but also for, uh, you know, gauging someone's technical ability in the technical interview uh, realm. Yeah, I think much another scenario that we've heard there in being interest in kind of persisting a live share session, so to speak, is... yeah. Imagine, like we were just talking a second ago, if I sent out a pull request, John leaves 20 comments, I'm like, hey, John, dude, like, get on the live shares. <laughs> like, if he and I had a live share session, it would be cool if that session was able to be persisted somehow back to the pull request so that the entire team that maybe wasn't able to join due to time zone or, or they were in a meeting could see, like, hey, what did you and John just work out? Um and and so kind of helping do a better job of bridging async and and real time collaboration such that the two are just kind of 
different sides of the same coin, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us to to improve that. Um, and so, so I'm I'm pretty excited about about that area in particular. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that goes into also teaching culture and teaching your coding style, right? So, there every single team has their own little quirks about outside of the traditional Pape, you know, in Python and some of the coding guidance, the syntax for other languages is. Um, every single team has a certain, uh, you know, how do you name your variables? How do you uh, put comments in, you know, as opposed to 20 comments, you know, uh, what do you explain? And so those are the the kind of the culture within a developer team that it's hard to teach. But if you could persist that session and just so you just do it once, you have one senior person uh, walk through the junior person, you know, spend extra amount of time explaining the reasoning behind it. And then just replay that for the next new guy. I mean, that's a great time saver for everybody down the line. And it, it frees up the senior person's time. It makes uh, onboarding a lot easier. Um, so this is, I think LiveShare is just one of those things where when you start using, you know, it, obviously you have some obvious reasons to get started. But once you start using it, these other scenarios pop into your mind and you start expanding your uh, horizon on uh, these kind of stuff. So I think John Kappel, you were you're trying to say something, and I want to give you the opportunity. D- Danny had something to say. Actually, I, I let Danny oh, okay. go first. I-, I have lots to say, but we'll let. Dan- I'd like to hear what Danny has. To <laughs> I'm say. looking at my watch and go. I don't know if we have four hours today, but go ahead, Danny. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to add to um, what John Carter just mentioned about the uh, like a pull request and kind of making it more uh, for different time zones and having people ability to review it i think that would be really neat especially integrating um you know with an open source project so instead of reviewing like a i've actually learned stuff through reading old pull requests that may have been merged or closed and uh it's cool like the comments and seeing the diffs kind of help but if you could somehow have that you know recorded or, or like you said kind of step through the code um, and attach it to that pull request. I think that would kind of just take it to another level and actually help people interpret it maybe differently than if they just read comments and and read a uh, a diff. So that's all I just wanted to add. I think it, that would be an awesome feature. Well, that's um, sort of exa- I I don't know, Jonathan. He we have the right guy here, but there is Code Tour, I believe it's called, right? Which is sort of like you can record how to move through a project um, as an addition to your GitHub that instead of just a markdown file, there is a code tour. Is that is that right, Jonathan? It is, yeah, yeah. So I think kind of like Eric was saying a second ago, you can see how you, you start to explore collaboration and then you kind of inadvertently step into a different but adjacent world. Um, and so, you know, this concept of, of, of knowledge sharing all up became quite interesting to me. Um, and, and so, yeah, what you're referring to, John, is, is something I built last year called Code Tour, which is a separate extension for VS Code. Um, and is really quite simple. It's just a way for someone on a team to be able to record a series of steps across files that can represent like a walkthrough. And so somebody could open the project, they could say, hey, I don't know how this part of the code base actually works. Let me learn. You click start and it navigates you through um, from file to file. And those steps can actually be interactive. They can run terminal commands. They can automate uh, the debugger. 
you know, they can display images. Um, and it is quite common when people see that, that they're like, oh, could you persist a live share session into that? Um, and so I, I think there is something there. And so it's, it's cool that, that you brought that up, John, um, because yeah, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, outside of my professional work, I do a bunch of side projects as well. And if you squint enough, you can kind of see that they're really explorations on new utilizations or use cases of the products that my team builds kind of officially. Um, and so, yeah, code tour and how do we make knowledge sharing and, and onboarding, like knowledge onboarding um, easier um, is something I'm super interested to explore further. Yeah, totally. And um, you mentioned, I mean, back to what we're talking about, you know, you're offloading the features into extensions, whereas, you know, so now we're actually getting this, uh, this uh, view of, you know, just, yeah, you know, there's an extension for that. It's, it's almost like Apple saying, oh, there's an app for it, right? Like, hey, funny you asked, <laughs> there's, a, there's an extension for that. And I do want yeah. to, you know, somewhat related, but I do want to give props to people about the VS Code remote SSH and the remote uh, Windows subsystem for Linux. That is just awesome, and um, I don't know if it, if uh, that falls under your governance as well, John John C. Or, um, but that is just a, a pretty much a game changer for us uh, network engineers, and I imagine for other people as well. Yeah, I uh, those those tools are are unbelievable. Yeah, it's not part of my team, but I will make sure to pass on the, the feedback <laughs> to them. Yes, we. I I personally love it, and so when I do a study group, you know, that was the first extension I tell people to do, and now the second extension would be live share, right? Hopefully, it comes out a preview soon, and you know, so so then they would take away one more excuse. Go, oh no, this isn't preview. No, no, this is released and saved to use, and these are all the security features. It's it's pretty interesting on on this little home tower of mine, which wasn't you know, it's not a big expensive rig. I have you know, the WSL2 environment. So now I'm running Windows latest 10 with an Ubuntu environment that's hooked into my Docker desktop, that's hooked into VS Code, it's hooked into Live Share. It's, it's just an ever-expanding um, jigsaw puzzle, really, where every little piece that we plug in, we just go, wow, did you know that there's an Elasticsearch extension and .es files work in VS Code? It's just one thing after another and now we can actually bring people into the live share and say, have you seen this? Have you seen the Docker desktop extension? You can actually expand a Docker image to the file level in VS Code in a live share. And um, it's just a wonderful experience. And I'm a network engineer. I can't imagine what the real, you know, I would consider them real compared to me, developers are doing with these tools. Um, and I love this live share and in particular, my my world is not Python engine programmers, but but I'm trying to 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 bring them into adoption and teach them this way. And Python is so this object is actually in this Py file. It's not the code you're looking for is not here. That's hard for people learning that in my experience. Whereas now I can literally hold their hand and show them file by file, line by line, highlight the code. Any questions, type them right into the window. Uh, it, it, I really, it's it's really revolutionary stuff, Jonathan. 
Yeah. Thanks. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's a, a lot of the features are game changers and, uh, you know, we're starting finding out one by one and, um, you know, and there's lots of them. So I think that the ones that re really useful will get bubble up to the top. You know, I, I wish there's a feature we could upvote uh, on the like, uh, you know, like Reddit or something to upvote the features. But I'm sure, you know, you get that feedback all the time. So, you know, we're coming up on the hour here. In fact, we're a little bit over just because we're so excited and there's so much to talk about. But um, before we go, I want to ask uh, John uh, Carter about, um, you know, any call to action? How do people get involved with VS Code? Maybe we want to uh, submit a feature request or uh, any call to action here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we didn't explicitly mention it earlier, but but VS Code is open source. Yep. And so, you know, the team behind that product are unbelievable and extremely collaborative. Like, so if you submit you know, a feature request or a question or an issue or even a pull request, you're definitely going to get greeted with, you know, uh, proper attention and, and care for that. So I, I would definitely encourage folks to to feel comfortable and, and if they're interested to engage with the community. Um, but, but beyond core VS Code also, like, yeah, you know, explore the ecosystem. You mentioned remote SSH. We've been talking about live share. There's a lot in in the the vs code ecosystem that um you know if you have an extension that you love make sure to let the author of that extension know because you know oftentimes being an oss maintainer can be a, a you know it can feel like you're not connected enough with with the folks using your tools and so i i know i am always whenever i find some new extension that just up levels my uh my productivity i like to seek the person out maybe on twitter or whatever and give them a little bit of kudos so um but also people like we didn't also talk about this but the the way to build vs code extensions is also i think a really key part to its success which is it's all based on javascript um and so you know the the barrier of entry for a lot of developers um is is pretty low and and going from kind of zero to creating a custom tab or a web view or a status bar button um, is is not terribly difficult. Um, and so I would say as people are using the tools and they have ideas for something that they think could make them or others more effective or productive, um, try out creating an extension. There's actually really awesome documentation on the VS Code website for creating extensions um, that, that can, you know, get you started pretty quickly. Um, and so, so yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, be the change you want to be. It's like what people say, right? If, yeah. if you don't see an extension, go build it and look at the documentation. Then I will Roger what John uh, said about the culture of the VS Code team. So I remember when I was working at Microsoft, I was, you know, full, falling in love with Python. And I looked around, everybody's working in C Sharp. So <laughs> I was like, I would actively seek out who in Microsoft was, uh, you know, who's the maintainer for Iron Python? Uh, who are the, who's the, which team is actually sponsored PSF or all these other? And it turns out to be the VS uh, Visual Studio team. I don't think Visual Studio Code exists at the time, but um, as an extension, you know, the, the team was very friendly. Uh, even though as a network engineer, you know, what do I know? What do I know about coding? Uh, let alone, you know, uh, Python that's not part of their gig. But 
they were very friendly and definitely, you know, in the today's world, seek out the extension you want, give people kudos on uh, what they want and be the change you want to be. So I think that's a, that's a great uh, ending to our show. I want to thank everybody for being here, especially John Carter. I know it's early for you and uh, I really appreciate you being on, on the show as well as John Capo uh, for, you know, introduce us to this great tool and Danny for making the time. Yeah, this was awesome. I really appreciate y'all having me and it's been awesome meeting you and, you know, in person and I look forward to keeping in touch on online. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for putting this together, Eric. I, I really had fun. And Jonathan, before you leave the share session, make sure you sign my guest book. I, I've, I've literally gone, Eric and Danny can attest to this. I've probably individually pinged I don't know, 100 people. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to join my live share? <laughs> so I've kind of gone door to door in the infrastructure world, inviting people to sign my uh, guest book here. And this is really an honor to have you uh, right here signing it live. So this is live share, everyone, if who can see this. And Jonathan's, I, and he's on the other part of the world from me, and he's typing this live. And this will be committed to my Git repo. So now I can say that... Um, Jonathan Carter is is has contributed to Merlin. <laughs> I tricked you into it. <laughs> yeah. Happy to have done it. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks Danny for uh for being here with us. I know um I know you had to clear your schedule up so I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks Eric. It was it was awesome being a part and talking talking with John, both Johns uh, about uh, you know, the project that John Capo and I, you know, we've been working co-streaming on online and then uh just listening to your story uh jonathan garter that was a cool story of of how kind of your beginnings and then uh where you see vs code the live share extension um you know in the future so very very cool stuff yeah cool guys so once again thanks for listening to the network automation there's podcast today find us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and all the other podcast platforms until next time bye-bye Thank you.